Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. I was like, Mom, are you sure you want to do this? Turned out to be a pretty good decision because 50 days into that job, I tore up my 100-day plan because COVID hit, and the rest is history. But that's a long road from pharmacy yeah. to something yeah. else. And I think it's a bit of a cliche, but it sort of reinforces for me the notion that you may train for one thing, but the jobs you may end up in don't even exist, maybe at the time. Welcome to Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show partners, Meditech and Transparent, for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Welcome to the This Week Health Community Town Hall Conversation. I'm Reed Steffen, VP and CIO of St. Luke's Health System in Boise, Idaho. And I'm joined today by my friend, Scott Jocelyn, who is the Chief Information and Innovation Officer at UC Irvine Health. Scott, welcome and thank you for taking a few minutes. I'm happy to be here and thank you for having me. Yeah, take a minute and just introduce UC Irvine Health to listeners who may not be familiar with you. Sure, UC Irvine Health is the only academic medical center in Orange County where I live here in Southern California. It is part of the University of California. There are 13 campuses. There are five, well, sort of five and a half, if you can include UC Riverside medical centers. Um, you'd be familiar with them, UCLA, San Diego, San Francisco, Davis, and UC Irvine Health. We happen to be the smallest, but I'd like to think one of the best. And as mm -hmm. I said, the only one here in Orange County. We're academic, of course. A 460-bed hospital in the city of Orange that 30 some years ago was the county hospital. We are building a new facility, a new hospital, 142 beds on our university campus, which is 10 miles to the south in the city of Irvine. We're building an ambulatory care center and a center for advanced care. We have a new school of medicine, had a school of medicine, but new buildings there, the Sam Welly Integrative Health Institute, uh, incredible organization. We have the schools of medicine, pharmacy, nursing, public health, along with the other schools in engineering and things you would expect, and a Mirage Business School. So that's uh, UC Irvine. It's growing. It's thriving. We're not a highly competitive market, but I think mm -hmm. we offer the kinds of care that really complements the care offered by some of the other hospitals in our market as well. Okay. That's an impressive organization. Thanks for that background. One of the purposes of these town hall community shows is to create a sense of community and, and a network. And I think a great way to do that is to learn about people's career paths and make connections with where they've been and what they've done. So just take a few minutes and walk us through your education background and your career journey that's led to the role you have today at UC Irvine Health. Sure. Well, when I went to school, which was quite some time ago and came out of that school as a doctor of pharmacy, there was no such thing as a CIO. Mm -hmm. And I practiced pharmacy for two and a half years, the last year of which was a clinical residency at a place, it still exists, Long Beach Memorial 
medical center, which is part of something called Memorial Care, in which I became a part. And it was wonderful, great experience, right at the bedside with clinicians and so on, rounding with physicians, providing really to residents and interns in particular, but residents, pharmacy advice, as we're talking about patients, often critical care, med surge, wherever you may be. I actually had the most fun and spent most of my time programming a PC, um, an early version of a PC. I won't even go into the details there, but what I did <laughs> is program it to do what is known as pharmacokinetic dosing. Basically, there are any number of drugs for which the amount that will help you and the amount that will hurt you are not far apart. And it's called an aerotherapeutic index. And so pharmacists were involved with dosing the many of those drugs. Um, genomycin would be an antibiotic that many people may know, for example, that too much of will damage your kidneys and lead to deafness. So you can damage the ear. So that it's, it's rather straightforward first order calculus in which those drugs typically behave in the body and you can calculate the elimination and so on. And basically you want to get peaks and troughs in a range that does the job you want and doesn't do what you don't want. The math is not that difficult. It was not hard at all for me to program it on, which later became an Apple computer. And I reverse engineered at the time what was known as Apple Plot. And so all the data that, that I produced could be graphed. And we would produce a report that would go on the chart. And in those good old days, pharmacy was actually reimbursed for that. So it became really sort of a revenue thing. At the end of that, my residency, I, was, I had two offers to stay with pharmacy, but was actually offered a position in, dare I say, what was known then as dead processing, which I ran toward, ready to take a salary cut because I had so much fun doing it. Didn't have to. Yeah. And I grew up with it. I was an analyst. I knew the background. I knew a fair amount about computers, although not a whole lot. Didn't have that much formal training, but I had taken programming as an elective. And we were in the midst of developing a hospital information system with Computer Sciences Corporation. It turns out that didn't work out. People have learned ever since that our core competency is really taking care of patients and not building health information systems, if you will. But anyway, I, I as an analyst programmer, I did that for a couple of years. Then I managed programming for a couple of years. Then I became an associate director of the department and, and picked up responsibilities at that point for the data center involving PC infrastructure, training, et cetera. And then became a director of clinical systems. And later on, during that period, I worked for the organization's first CIO. And I, one of my early assignments was, and the big assignment was to roll out the, the, the massive development of our own system clearly failed. The self-development that followed clearly failed. And so we ended up acquiring a system called TDS or Technicon Data Systems that many people will know later became Eclipsis. And so my, I was the project director and we rolled it out. And we had 100% order entry in our children's hospital, high degrees of order entry elsewhere and other places, not so much so. Uh, my predecessor outsourced the entire IT department, moved that position forward or moved that concept forward. And it was an enormous outsourcing endeavor, one of the first and largest of its kind in healthcare. And I was asked to stay behind and manage that contract. And I elected not to do that and go with my boss, if you will. In the end, that didn't work out. And two and a half years later, I was asked and allowed by the outsourcing company to come back as the CIO. And from there, the first big gig was one, learning how to be a CIO. And frankly, I wasn't qualified, but I was there. They liked me. They trusted me. I managed the contract. First big gig was, of course, Y2K. 
Mm-hmm. And then after that, we had acquired some hospitals and integrating all of them. So, and none of them operated similarly. Come the early 2000s, it was time to replace the EHR. And that led to selection of Epic. That went exceedingly well, even though it was quite early and high risk. Ended up managing research along the way, got involved with our venture capital fund, and was planning to leave Memorial Care where, where I was and just sort of ease back and maybe do venture capital. So two or three months before that, I was going to retire, if you will, really just kind of do something else. I was helping UC Irvine Health try to find a CIO. And mm-hmm. I met with the COO. I knew the prior person. And other, you know, I've been in the industry for a while. I knew some people. And I really liked the fellow and ended up throwing my hat in the ring with no expectation of landing on that job. And then I ended up with a job offer. And then I was like, wow, are you sure you want to do this? I decided to do it. Turned out to be a pretty good decision because 50 days into that job, I tore up my 100-day plan because COVID hit. And the rest is history. But that's a long road from pharmacy to something else. And I think it's a bit of a cliche, but it sort of reinforces for me the notion that you may train for one thing, but the jobs you may end up in don't even exist maybe at the time. And that was certainly true for me. It's clearly true for young people today. Well, I love that story. I love the ongoing journey of education that you obviously have pursued over your career, the agility and willingness to to be curious, to change your mind, to be open to something unexpected. And I think you're better for it, but also the, the benefit that you provided where you worked, but also to the broader community at large. I'm curious, so you have two I's in your title, information, which is very boilerplate for CIO, when did the word innovation get added to your title? And maybe kind of talk about the why behind that and what it's meant. So as I said, just a short period into my job at UCI Health, COVID hit, and we were like everybody else scrambling. We put up a 50-bed tent, et cetera. And I was walking around with the CEO. Actually, he was the CEO who I'd originally met, and he was the COO when I started my position, the CEO had departed and they were recruiting or going to replace that person. The CEO got the job and three months or four months in. And so we're walking around looking at the tent and just talking generally. And we were talking how remarkably telemedicine, e-visits and the like had advanced out of necessity, really. And the idea that it was probably going to stick. And I said, yeah, I think it's, it, that's good. It's good for everybody. And we've established the fact that a lot of care can be done sort of remotely, if you will. And I said to him, I said, but that's just the beginning. I think we need to think about this beyond that. We need to think about, let, let's just call it virtual care. He said, I absolutely agree. And he said, I just need somebody to lead it. Now, he and I are alone out by this tent and I'm looking around and i <laughs> What am I going to say? I said, well, I, I actually was anxious to do that. I was more happy to do that. I said, well, sure. So I ended up with responsibility for what was fairly new at the time and whatever you want to call it today, the phrase virtual care for not just the telemedicine, what we're going to do next. And it started with how do we get our patients out of the hospital into the home, remote monitoring and so on. So that went on. And then I helped to get working with the chief investment officer another CIO of the University of California who manages a $250 billion worth of funds. Four months after meeting him, we had a $50 million venture capital fund and the only one amongst the UC medical centers. So as that happened, Chad effectively promoted me unexpectedly and made me the 
chief information officer and innovation officer at the same time. So I acquired that title. Yeah. And I want to get rid of one of the I's and I plan to do so in the next four to six weeks, three months behind schedule. What I mean by that, I just want to stay with UCI Health, manage the fund and let someone else be the chief information officer. I will just be the chief innovation officer. Alex's Lemonade Stand was started by my daughter, Alex, in her front yard. By the time she was four, she knew there was more that could be done. And she told us she was going to have a lemonade stand. And she wanted to give the money to her doctor so they could help kids like her. It was cute, right? She's going to cure cancer with a lemonade stand. Like only a four-year-old would think that. But from day one, it just exceeded anything we could have imagined because people responded so generously to her. We are working to give back and are excited to partner with Alex's Lemonade Stand this year. Having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. At Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, they understand the personal side of the diagnosis, the resources needed, and the impact that funded research can have for better treatments and more cures. You can get more information about them at alexslemonade.org. We are asking you to join us. You can hit our website. There's a banner at the top and it says Alex's Lemonade Stand there. You can click on that and give money directly to the lemonade stand itself. Now, back to the show. That's a great blueprint of, of how to do that. A lot of questions. You talked about care at home. Maybe describe a bit about like hospital at home and what you've done at UC Irvine Health, what you're doing, lessons that you would share with others and maybe you're just starting their hospital at home journey. We are. And I have to say, it's still evolving. Others yeah. have gone, not sooner, but maybe a little faster with it. California is unique in some of its requirements. But as we were thinking about it in the earliest days, I took eight physicians up to a hospital in Central California that was using a product called Medically Home. And as a model of, or a way by which you get, and it was strictly to deal with COVID in the foothills of California, where there was really no healthcare. We came back with the idea, we should do something like this. We really? looked at medically home. The bottom line is we began to look at it as, and I see care at home, care at home today as sort of a, a third service line, if you will. There's ambulatory, there's inpatient, and then there's care outside of those four walls in ideally a patient's home, but sometimes it can be a sniff or whatever, but it's not inside yeah. the acute or ambulatory space. That is evolving today. There's reimbursement, lots of considerations. But there's a whole spectrum of things from just sending patients home when expected or maybe slightly earlier than expected, depending on how they're doing with remote monitoring. The idea is to avoid readmissions, put them into an environment that, frankly, is safer, less likely to acquire sepsis or other kinds of problems, and manage them safely, all the way up to a licensed hospital bed in the home, which to me is sort of nirvana. But we were the only the second organization in California to get a California Department public health waiver, if you will, to do a licensed bed in the home. So um, Adventist, the hospital we had visited, had the first using medically home. We had the second. And now I wouldn't say it's common, but and we're developing a very targeted care home capability. We also partnered with a company called Dispatch Health so that we could dispatch or the people could call patients that at home to avoid emergency trips. Or if we had patients that had gone home and began to somehow decompensate we could dispatch help there to avoid an unnecessary readmission. So that's all in play now, along with various care at home infusions, you name it, that really makes us more vertically integrated, more complete, and more complete with respect to our patients and what we can do for them across the spectrum. Now, that's also alongside integrative health, 
maintaining wellness, keeping people well, monitoring people with chronic diseases. So that's an evolution and I'm going to be the next CIO's job to figure out how to really make that work along with the medical director. Well, I know it's still early days, but what outcomes have you seen in terms of patient satisfaction, improved healthcare outcomes with hospital at home experiences? I can't say we have lots of measurements. We have observations yeah. and we're challenged. And I don't think we're alone with just basic throughput. How do we get patients out of the organization to the point yeah. where more often than not, it sometimes we're stuck simply because we can't find a sniff. So we're trying to forecast, for example, upon admission, the likelihood that a patient will end up needing a sniff. So we begin looking for it ahead of time. We're trying to forecast the likelihood of readmission of a patient, chronic heart disease, congestive heart failure. This is one of those in which patients can decompensate. They go home and they're starting to feel better from whatever inpatient experience they had. They may not follow their diet. They may somehow gain weight. Pretty soon, they end up back in the ED. So we have seen early reductions in readmission rate by being very much aware of that, but also sending patients home with whether it's scales and blood pressure monitors and, and the ability to measure things at home is only going up. We've seen yeah. non-invasive strips that will monitor electrolytes so we can begin to see what's going on with the patient there. Potassium in the case of chronic kidney disease, for example. So we're starting to see one care being in a more appropriate venue. There's typically a fixed cost reimbursement. We suffer penalties upon readmission. That's not good for the yep. patient. Yep. So we're starting to see improvement there. And we're starting to see, I guess, and, and maybe enjoy the satisfaction of being more complete in our market. But it's really early. We're not alone. Yeah. But we can see better care. And key to that is also, as we look to our new hospital, it's going to be completely different. It's going to be largely a huge intensive care unit, emergency department, yeah. and surgery. Everything yep. else is going to be somewhere else. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think you're right. It's, it's still early, but it's also so clearly the future state that we need to be planning for and driving towards. As you think about hospital at home, care outside the inpatient traditional facilities, what are some of the most innovative or exciting technologies that you're aware of or kind of tracking that are going to really help to kind of close that gap of what's possible today? For our inpatient facilities, for sure, our current one and the newer we, that we're building, there is, and it's been pretty clear, a need for sort of a central command center mm -hmm. uh, to really monitor, if you will, a factory through which yeah. patients move to track their progress, intervene as necessary when there are bottlenecks, frankly, if you can, automatically, and certainly interventions that may become necessary because the patient's not doing what we expect them to do at that point in time. It became obvious that same infrastructure can both be used and is actually needed in an environment all the way into the home. And so the evolution of, of patches and other ways to monitor patient status outside of the facility as if they were an inpatient, the ability to dispatch a nursing or other kinds of care to the home, including infusions in the case of oncology patients, and the ability to integrate that in with the EPIC is now, I wouldn't say table stakes, but it can be done. So mm -hmm. that the, the clinician, the physician, nurses, and others can see into a single record, and in our case, EPIC, and across the spectrum of this patient's care as well as history and so on. So that technology has really evolved. And I would say that what's evolving now is the idea of passive audio and video, particularly inside the new medical center. 
where though it's going to cause some anxiety, I think the reality is that our inpatient environments and other environments are going to have uh, passive audio and video just there. The ability to listen, much as I have two phones in front of me here and they both have Siri running. And if I'm not careful, either my watch or my phone is going to start saying, what do you want? Yeah. Well, imagine in a patient's room, a nurse changing a central line dressing and the nurse remarking, hey, call it a system, call it Siri. Hey, Siri, I'm changing the patient's central line dressing. Now, Epic yeah. knows there's an order for that. And our protocol knows that at least daily you do those kinds of things. That statement by the nurse or the observation by the camera can be documented without the nurse having to do anything. So we've saved her or him a few minutes and all they need to do is go in and validate that. So that's just the start. There's fall risk, <clears throat> hand washing, instead of observations, you got cameras that can do all these things. And the camera yeah. and the system we're looking at blanks out the people. You can't, it's all black, you can't see it. Yeah. So you, you see there are humans there, you see movement, you see everything else with all the HIPAA protections. So I think that's gonna become fundamental along with real-time location systems and so on to track things that move through the hospital more practical application of things like lean processing techniques. I don't want to say single piece flow because patients are not at all uniform, but they're themes of patients and they can go along a process that can generally be somewhat predicted and guided because they're similar. And we can begin to track all of that and we can begin to measure it and we can begin to optimize it. And in the end, that's better for the patients, better for us, increases throughput, lowers costs. Patients going home to a safer environment generally will lead to a better outcome. So I, I think yep. it's the audio, the video, the sensing, the 5G, always aware. It's the awareness, right? Situational awareness, the ability to monitor that, the ability to apply AI to that, the ability to do what a nurse that I saw as a pharmacy resident say, my patient doesn't look good. I think they're going to crash, which is what they would do. Couldn't tell you exactly why. They could just say they don't look good. We can now measure things like that, that today we know was that's the early onset of sepsis. That's all in the realm of AI today and table stakes, frankly. Yeah, it's such an exciting time to do what we do and to really be able to make a meaningful difference in the care experience for the provider, for the patient, for their family, for everyone involved. Scott, thank you. Always a delight to visit with you. I appreciate your experience, your wisdom, your insights. Thanks for making a few minutes sure. to spend time with me today and for the conversation. Well, you're quite welcome, Reed. It's good to see you. And I've always enjoyed these podcasts. I think um, you, Bill, and his team just do an extraordinary job. You're really helping all of us share with each other and learn. So I think it's terrific. Glad I had an opportunity to do it. Gosh, I really love this show. I love hearing what workers and leaders on the front lines are doing. And we want to thank our host, who continue to support the community by developing this great content. If you want to support This Week Health, the best way to do that is to let someone else know about our channels. Let them know you're listening to it and you are getting value. We have two channels, This Week Health Conference and This Week Health Newsroom. You can check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find them on our website, thisweekhealth.com, and you can subscribe there as well. We also want to thank our show partners, Meditech and Transparent for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.